Welcome once again to Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Sestouli. On this particular episode of the pod, I sit down with Brian Cartwright. Cartwright, as you may or may not know, is the progenitor of the Oliver Projection System, available at the Hardball Times. In what follows, I ask Brian about some of the peculiarities of the Oliver Projection System, in particular how Mr. Cartwright goes about assessing defense and also major league equivalencies. However, this also serves as an entry point into some other peculiarities of Mr. Cartwright's life, particularly that he's been a sabermetrician even since before the term was invented, and additionally, that he was actually at the Johnstown AAU tournament that Kevin Corrane attended in 1981 as part of the writing of his book, Dollar Sign and the Muscle. All of these uber-interesting facts and more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, it is Fangraphs Audio. I am Carson Stooley. Uh, and my guest today uh, is an important gentleman, I'm sure, for uh, dozens of reasons um, that uh, maybe we'll learn about in the course of this conversation. Uh, the reason he's on the show that today, though, is uh, because he is the mastermind um, behind the Oliver Projection System, uh, which I personally uh, looked at uh, on Fangraphs recently and which is now available at the Hardball Times. Brian Cartwright, how are you doing today? Very good, Carson. Very good. Yeah, and I should say, uh, not today exactly, right? Uh, this is a, this is a um, a late night situation. Uh, 9:30 p.m. Eastern. We're starting here, but uh, now I, I'm led to believe that 9:30 p.m. is like uh, that's like the morning for you. Is that right? Well, yeah, I've been working night shift for many years, and I'm taking a long lunch here at work, so I'll be here till at least 5 a.m. I have to work a little late since I've been talking to you. Uh. <laughs> I feel I feel bad about that. So is that uh, does that mean we have to make it short so that you can you can get out of there on time? Oh no no it's, it's <laughs> I um, yeah my shift is done at five and then the next guy the day guy doesn't get until seven thirty so I have a little bit of uh, time in the middle there. Right and you uh, and I we should say you're not working at a uh, at a Seven Eleven or something like that right? You uh, <laughs> uh, no I don't have customers coming in. I'm sitting in front of a computer. With actually three monitors. So. Oh man! Well, um, I have to say that, especially since our last guest was, uh, was Dane Perry, on the, who, while being a baseball nerd, is also kind of like towards the um, towards the cool end of the spectrum. It's nice to it's nice to see that you're uh, you're upping the nerd ante here with the uh, the triple monitor situation. Well, and and the middle monitor is 3D. Wow. I don't even know where that ranks, and uh, but it's brilliant. Um, anyways. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you're here because um, you are, I guess, the uh, owner-operator, uh, the proprietor of the the man behind uh, the Oliver Projection Systems, uh, which have, I guess, are, are, is this the second year that they've been available now at Hardball Times? Yes, this is the second year at Hardball Times, and for one year before that, the uh, 2009 preseason projections for batters uh, were at Fangrass. Oh, okay, right. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, I do remember that now, actually. Uh, and you had a, uh, we can maybe get to later, you had a brief uh, stint with Fangraphs. With regard to the projections, though, I think we should just get started on them, because there's a lot of uh, really interesting stuff. Now, like I mentioned, uh, um, you know, I did sort of an overview post of this, and I think it'll be great to have uh, you here just to kind of begin to understand some of these things, or how you get these, uh, to some of these conclusions. Uh, or how Oliver does, I should say. Uh, now, now, one one part that, um, and I feel, you know, I don't mean to be sort of like 
gushing about the system, but one thing that I really enjoyed about it uh, was the fact that uh, the interface is really easy to work with, and um, especially for someone who's interested in prospects and minor league players, um, both just sort of for my own interests, but also you know for the sake of deeper fantasy baseball leagues, um, it is possible to look at minor league players only uh, through Oliver. Um, and I did. I kind of came up with what I called a, a sort of kind of prospect list, uh, but essentially ranking one through ten, uh, you know, the players that would be expected to start in the minor leagues this season. Um, and there are some familiar names, and there are some names that people will recognize, names like uh, Jesus, Jesus Montero and Mike Moustakas, uh, maybe, uh, you know, maybe uh, Will Myers in the Kansas City system. Uh, but there are also some other names there that uh, people may not expect to see. Uh, for example, a name uh, in the Atlanta system, like, I don't even know how to say his name, Andrel, uh, Andrelton Simmons or Andrelton, uh, Andrelton Simmons or Zach Cozart, a shortstop in the Cincinnati uh, uh, organization. And then, of course, uh, my favorite, mostly because of his name, is Zealous Wheeler in the Milwaukee system. So I thought I, I, we might use this as a chance to sort of as an entry point to beginning to understand how you go about, um, you know, doing uh, major league equivalencies, and then how that, uh, you know, how that becomes manifest in the Oliver uh, projections. Okay. Well, although uh, one thought that I had when you were describing some of the players on the list and in your article was that some of the guys that we were not as familiar with that showed up on your prospect list were ones who had high defensive value. And I think that maybe one of the strengths of Oliver, or we'll find out, you know, how accurate it is, is that there's not very many people out there who are doing the defensive measurements on the minor league players. And we might be able to read a report and say that, you know, Simmons is considered a really good shortstop, but, you know, can we express it in numbers? And so... I have gone through and I have, like for infielders, I measure range, I measure how many time, how many outs they get on the ground balls they get to and then double plays started, double plays pivoted, and convert that to a run value and then it's park adjusted and it's league adjusted and so hopefully that's a good major league equivalent of the defense. And a lot of that is mirroring the same process that I and others do for batting and pitching and most of it, especially, you know, when you get into the batting and pitching, it's a matter of context, finding when the player had this particular performance. You have the raw stats. But using the play-by-play from game day, I'm able to go in and see how many plate appearances did a player have as a right-handed batter, as a left-handed batter in each ballpark. Where did he uh, hit his batted balls to? So how much did the ballpark affect the outcome of those and then I can consider how old the player was uh, during that season and look on the aging curve to see you know how he's going to change up to age 25 which I use as a reference it's not necessarily the peak because different skills peak at different times but just to pick an appropriate uh, number and then I see you know, okay, if you've done this in the AA Eastern League and then how many players from that league have later played in the major leagues over the past 12 or 13 years that I have in the system and how have their stats changed when they go from one league to the other after I've already counted for parks and age. And so once I get all those things tied together, 
and run through. That's how I uh, changed the, those, the raw stat line into the um, major league equivalent stat line for each player. So when you're when you're doing the MLEs, uh, I mean, is the is the the process you're you're following, is it a similar one to the one, uh, for example, that we saw uh, on Jeff uh, Jeff Sackman's site? minor league splits or the same type that we might see at uh, Baseball Prospectus? I'm not as familiar with what Jeff Sackman had done. Um, a little more with Prospectus. It's, it's the same principle, I believe, but it's how going to be a difference on how you know you actually put the things together and then, you know, I guess, visualize your model of transforming the stats. Now, I've always been of the opinion that the major league stats were really not that hard to project. That's why Marcel does so well. There's only so um, when you're testing your projections, you can take a projection and compare it to how the player actually did in the year projected. But the, as Tom Tango said on his blog recently, even if you're God and know exactly how good that player is, you're still limited by the random variation in the year that you're comparing it to. So, which is maybe 30 points at WOBA. And if you look at all the projection systems, mine and Dakota and Zips and Sean and Marcel, they all have about the same error ranges uh, for major league players because they're just buffing up against the uh, random variation of a single season. But once you get into minor leagues, because in the major leagues you look at the parks, Age isn't that important because maybe you're on a flatter part of the age curve once you get into the middle or late 20s. But when you get into the minor leagues, there's more things that you have to look for. Aging becomes more important. Uh, you have to see what that are you going to the uh, league to the major leagues. Are you going to compare it directly? Or are you going to chain it one step at a time? Um, and so there, you start seeing then differences in the accuracy rates between projections when you move to the minor leaguers. Now, um, is there um, is there anything that surprised you as you've de- as you've developed your your minor league equivalencies or sorry your major league equivalencies? Is there anything that you feel like you've learned from the numbers that that maybe you haven't necessarily known? Um, you know, just watching the players in other contexts. Ah. <sighs> I don't know, probably a lot of things, but nothing big just really is jumping out right now. Well, one thing that always that always sort of occurs to me is the importance of um, contact rate or the relative importance of contact rate. Uh, it does okay. seem, it does seem as though, for example, you know, like at the lower levels, you might have a guy who survives, especially because the 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 ball and play averages, uh, the BABIPs, um, you know, tend to be higher in the minor leagues, and so a guy can swing and miss on more pitches. But then once he gets to the majors. Uh, you know, maybe that's something that's that's exposed or exploited by uh, you know by major league pitchers, and I'll trust by the fact that the fielders are much better. Um, I'm wondering, I mean, have you have you noticed with, with the contact rate is particularly important? Is there something that a player can can exhibit at a younger age that might correlate uh, more highly with later success? Well, I think you're correct that yes, you're going to. As a, as a player moves up um, from lower levels to the higher levels, they're going to be facing better and better pitchers. And they're going to be facing pitchers who are going to be able to put the ball by them. So if you have a bad contact rate 
in the low minor leagues, it's only going to get worse as you get promoted. And you're, you know, if your balls are playing, you can't get a hit unless you put. The... <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, hey, hey, Brian. Now, uh, Bri- yes. Brian, Brian, sorry, I lost you for a second. You, you cut out. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, you I were just, just coughed there for a second, and then I paused. And oh, okay, all right. So yeah, you were just saying like, uh, unless right. you put the ball in play, I think was where you. Yes, and so I've noticed. Well, like when looking at college batting statistics, really, if you want to. F- just looking at the raw statistics, one of the things to look for if you re- really want to predict whether a player is going to be successful, in college you want more walks and strikeouts for batters because it's going to flip so much by the time they get to the major leagues to even come into, say, a normal two strikeouts for one walk. Uh, there's going to be a lot of change from the college uh, level and then up through the minor leagues. But uh, Oliver does um, track that, and I... I think it's uh, probably unique among some of the systems, and I'll give uh, Pizza Cutter credit. Uh, he had called it uh, his flow charting system. But what I do is start with the number of plate appearances, and then I translate the walk and strikeout rates. Then I, from there, I see well how many plate appearances are left over after you know to, that the ball's been put in play. How many of those went over the fence for home runs? And then the ones that are left over, then I apply the batting average of balls in play to see how many are base hits, and then out of the base hits, how many are extra base hits, out of the extra base hits, how many are triples. So it has to go down the line. First, you have to process one number to see how many are left over for the next number. So, yes, when a player's uh, striking out more often as uh, he advances up through, it's going to show that uh, there's fewer balls in play, even if the player has the same batting average on balls in play he's not going to have as many balls in play so he won't get as many hits right yeah so so there's sort of a, a chain reaction there is that the idea yes yeah okay uh now now you have uh, correct me if i'm wrong you also have some experience uh just generally um i guess in what analyzing or uh, dealing with uh uh, college or amateur or minor league baseball, and and I think you've also done some work with the college summer leagues. Is that right? Yeah, how I got started in all this was even back when I was a teenager, way back in the seventies. Oh man, back in the seventies. <laughs> a long time ago. Well, actually, I re- well uh, the very first baseball game I watched on television was a 1970 All-Star game, the one where we be famous for Pete Rose running over Ray Fossey. And in July of 1970, I was almost 11 years old, and I didn't even know what league the Pirates played in. And three years later, I was sitting in front of the TV crying because Cincinnati had beaten them in the playoffs, and Cincinnati was going to the World Series. But I got started there. And But by 78, when I was 18, I just was already such a big stat nerd and so I had gone down to our local recreation department and you have a copy of the stats I could get and it's like well we don't have a statistician right now and it's like okay I'll do it I'll do it <laughs> and so I got going there and I was I was a statistician I, I was an 18 year old player in the league and I was also keeping the stats hiring the, and assigning the scorekeepers and so I got to uh, over a few years uh, having everybody keeping score the same way, I developed a method of keeping score on paper, which showed every ball, whether it was a ground ball or a fly ball, and where it was hit. 
because then by then I started reading Bill James and was getting some of these ideas and I probably, even though it was amateur ball, I probably had some uh, better play-by-play than Bill James had it. So as you get, get married and get a job and get busy and I fell away from it for a long time, but uh, about five years ago I started getting back in and actually I pulled out a lot of the same old ideas that I started developing back in the 80s, but when we didn't have computers, uh, and so it was a little impractical then, but then I started uh, taking those ideas and uh, applying them, but at the same time, hanging out every day at the book blog and learning from Tango and MGL and everybody else uh, there about uh, all the fine points of baseball analysis. Yeah, now that's interesting that you're talking about uh, the, the... I guess the life of a baseball nerd, you know, between like 1978 and in the mid 80s or whatever, because um, obviously, uh, you know, the presence of the computers, um, you know, both from the ability to process information more quickly, but also just the 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 degree to which it allows people to to share research. uh, um, You know, like you mentioned, reading the book blog, for example. Obviously, that's. Uh, real advantageous. I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine what it what it must have been like to have been a baseball nerd in 1978. It seems like it would have been frustrating, or maybe maybe because you don't know any better, it's not. Well, I mean, it was a situation where I'm at home, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and we have our league, and we were also the host of the National All American Amateur Baseball Association tournament. And so I was like, you know, the big guy in town who did that. But yes, you have no contact with anybody else except during the tournament. And they were maybe some of the uh, stat guys from the other leagues would travel with the team and get to sit in the press box and talk to them. But that would be one week a year when you'd get to share things. But, you know, when I was in the summer league or actually in the Triple ABA tournament, there are quite a few players, maybe two or three players every year who would eventually go on to play, you know, at least a cup of coffee in the major leagues. And, and there were a few good players uh, too and so then you know every day I would see the players in our own league and I guess the question in my mind is well how good are these guys you know are they good enough to play in majors and that was the kernel of the idea for major league equivalencies along with you know reading the Bill James abstracts that came out once a year and and it's like come full circle now because with uh, the extra uh, leagues that I've been adding, adding the college, and then I started adding summer leagues, and so two of the Triple ABA leagues uh, that play in Johnstown during the summer are also part of my uh, data input for the Oliver projections. And and do, is that stuff that you? I mean, do you collect that information uh, yourself, or or is, do they have a slightly more uh, sophisticated system there now? Well, I've found the web pages for the leagues yeah. and then copied uh, copied the batting and the pitching and then loaded them up into my database and did the analysis. But uh, yeah, the uh, Baltimore Johnnies who play in the Cal Griffith Senior League uh, out of Bethesda, Maryland, and also the Clark Griffith League. It was in Northern Virginia. And there's Cape Cod is just the big uh, college summer league. No one's quite up to the quality that they are. And, well, and, and I'll actually say, uh, I, having just uh, finished recently uh, Kevin Corain's Dollar Sign on the Muscle, uh, in fact, the Jodstown uh, AAU tournament actually f- uh, features um, pretty significantly in that book as a sort of... Um, in, in fact, since you brought up his name, um, yeah, he... He's, uh, sitting, next to, he's sitting next to you right now. <laughs> no, he was, he was sitting next to me like 27 years ago, right after, or maybe right before he wrote the book. 
uh, I, we had a common friend, and who told me that. Uh, so he, uh, it was basically at my invitation, he came to the tournament in Johnstown. Oh, is that true? Yes. Well, that's really exciting. Well, I, well, I mean, uh, I don't mind uh, steering off briefly into that because that's that's exciting. How did you? I mean, how did you originally hear about uh, about Karain writing the book, and how did you and sort of have the wherewithal to to know to invite him? Well, there was a guy that I met in high school who was a huge Stratomatic baseball fan. He got me into playing Stratomatic baseball, and. Then in the 80s, when we were in college, we went to a couple tournaments. We went out to Northwestern University one year, and another year we went to Philadelphia. While I was in Philadelphia, about 83, 84, I met a guy from Delaware and uh, started talking to him there. We exchanged phone numbers, and we kept in touch. And he happened to know Kevin Corain and, and said, Hey, a friend of mine's writing you know, this book. And I had already told my friend Jeff about the Triple ABA, so he told, and so, he, you know, he was the go-between, and uh, so I invited uh, them both out to, you know, come to Johnstown and take in uh, the tournament. Oh, that's really excellent. That's really cool stuff right there. It, um, yeah, it is. It's. I mean, uh, I, I assume have, have you read the book? Then I assume. Ah, uh, it's been a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but it, but it's been yeah twenty-five years. But it, it is, it's sort of an interesting thing to sort of see, um, I guess, you know, these, these names, at least, you know, now, kind of from my past, and in some cases, you know, players who, well, you know, players who we probably never heard of because they never really made it up, uh, up the ladder. Uh, but to, to sort of see these names that, that were once people and, and uh, names of people who were, you know, actual baseball prospects at the time, and you do get a sense of, of the, the the degree of attrition that occurs, I guess, and my guess is probably. Right. I, do you get that do, from doing the the Oliver projections? Like, does that kind of like bring home the great sense of like, you know, X number of players are going to make it, but the Y of players that don't make it is much higher. Well, yeah, of course, and um, I'm also doing a little bit of research now into. How to determine replacement value, and there's you know big thread going over at the book blog. But part of what I did was looking at the projections and separating the players by their primary fielding position, and then at different levels, like every five points of WOBA, how many plate appearances at that true talent level were in the major leagues, how many were in the minor leagues, and so. And when you graph them, you see the major league curve, even for shortstops, goes up. And actually, the most plate appearances for a particular WOBA for shortstops is even like 290, which is below average. But it's just you have more you have more players who play short who have a 290 WBA than say have 320. But just below there, then for major league, it drops off sharply because that's pretty much then where the major league teams say, well, we can't carry a shortstop with that bad of a bat, but the minor league curve just keeps growing and growing down to about 250 or so before it starts dropping off. So it shows you how we're just seeing the tail end of the curve. Majors is just the tail end of all professional players, and professional players is just the tail end of you know, everybody out there who plays baseball. Yeah, that's yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. Now, um, one thing that, that you touched on briefly, um, which was the thing that sort of maybe Defined this sort of kind of prospect list, um, and you know, placed onto it uh, some players that we maybe are not particularly used to seeing on other prospect lists. 
uh, is the um, is the measurement of fielding, right? And th- this seems to be something that you're yes. pretty excited about. Um, but I think also, uh, were people to look at the list, um, they would notice a couple things. One um, is that, well, maybe most significantly, is that your your fielding ratings are pretty aggressive. Uh, I mean, it goes up to plus 30 runs, you know, for um, you know for the best fielders, and for the for the lowest fielders, it goes down to I think negative 23. Uh, which is your, uh, you know, your your Brad Hop, uh, and then in this case Chris Nelson type territory. Uh, Chris Nelson as a shortstop, I should say. So I guess I'm curious as to, you know, you've mentioned a little bit, like it's based on play-by-play data. Um, how does the, uh, uh, because I guess I typically don't think of like a player, you know, being projected for plus 30 runs uh, defensively. You know, I mean. We, you know, at least given UZR and total zone, maybe we see, uh, you know, a couple guys each year, you know, like Franklin Gutierrez a couple years ago and uh, uh, Ben Zobrist a couple years ago, you know, really reach those peaks. But what is it about the offer projections and your inputs that creates uh, such a wide range and such an aggressive projection for defense? Well, one thing I will note, and I made a comment on your article last week when you were pointing out Simmons, is that I did make one um, error in the data that I sent in to be published at, at the Hardball Times, in that down in the MLE sections for the player, those um, those fielding ratings as well as like batting stats. You know, those are the translated figures, but when you go up to the projections, those are going to be regressed and aged. And I did not put the regressed fielding values in the projections. I put uh, just you know the unregressed. That'll be fixed when we update the files probably this week. Uh, so yes, even though it says that Simmons was plus 30 runs at shortstop during 2010, we cannot say. That he's going to continue to have that rate out of the future because you know it's only one season and there's going to be some regression to the mean. But you know he does have very good scouting ratings too, so I'm sure he might. You know he's commanded plus 15, plus 20 once we regress and maybe get another season of data in from him. But uh, as far as just the spread of the values that uh, I was. You know, while I was developing my numbers, I was looking at other numbers that had been published, and I think they came in in the in the same range. And but you know, maybe when you get in the minor leagues, you're going to see a little bit higher because sometimes you got you might have guys in the minors who are great, great fielders and just can't hit. And sometimes you got guys who are really lousy fielders and maybe they hit, but they can stick around for a year or two. But it's just you know, if you have that much say discrepancy between offense and defense, it's going to be hard to uh, stick around and make it up to the major leagues. Uh, but, yeah, for the guys who get the most balls, say shortstop and uh, center fielders, the very best players can occasionally get up to 25 or 30 runs above average. And you mentioned Franklin Gutierrez. I think a couple years ago he had a season that uh, was in that range. But it's very hard to uh, keep up from year to year. So you still might settle into... Yeah, you know, maybe a 15 or 20 uh, range for those positions. But when you get down to like first base, where uh, it's only going to be plus or minus about five runs because they just don't get as many balls hit to them. Right now, when you're when you're using these uh, the 
these defensive metrics, uh, uh, I mean, is this is not UZR you're using? Is it is it Total Zone or is it, is it something else? No, this is this is my own. Okay. And again, this is uh, another idea which was first hatched in my brain almost 30 years ago. But reading Bill James, he had introduced the concept of the defense efficiency rating on a team level, which is what percentage of the balls that are put in play are converted into outs. So it's pretty simple. Then I said, okay, well, what if I just take all balls that are hit on the field? And when James wrote that, he had said that part of the theory behind it was that any ball that's hit on the field can uh, is a potential out. And yes, even though some zones are almost certainly hits and some are almost certainly outs, but the idea was collect everything. And except maybe if you got a ball that's hit, you know, 20 feet up off the green monster in Fenway, uh, that, you know, that's not catchable. So then I just went from there and said, okay, let me take all these balls and just assign them to each fielder. Every ball gets assigned one fielder who was determined to be have the best chance of fielding the ball. So it's a lot of times with the current systems, you have the split zones where you know there's a ground ball hit to left field between the shortstop and the third baseman, and we have to figure out well who was it closest to because the scorekeeper didn't write it down. And back when I was in the college summer league, that's what I told my scorekeepers: mark it on the sheet. Was it closer to shortstop or was it closer to third base? Mm-hmm. Still bugs me a little bit that with the major leaguers, you know, or game day, we still don't have that information. Uh, I don't. I think that there'd be much less variance between observers on whether it was closer to third or closer to shortstop than say whether a ground ball in the infield was a infield single or an error. Uh, those can be all over the place. But then once I divided the field up, basically I'm just doing an individual defense efficiency rating. So, you know, there's a hundred fly balls hit the left field, and you know, Carl Crawford catches sixty of them, and some other guy catches fifty. And so from that, you can. But then, to expand on that, then it's not just hit or out, but how many doubles or triples or home runs because uh, a good outfielder is also going to get uh, in the gap or down the line and cut off balls and not allow the batter to stretch and get extra bases on his hit. And part of that's range, part of it's arm, but still overall the fielder was able to prevent the bases. And then you can put that into a linear weights formula, see what your expected value was and what the observed totals were, find the difference, multiply those by the linear weights, and then you get a run value, uh, plus or minus, uh, for that player in that skill. Uh, for outfielders, right now, I'm basically just on the... Uh, well, for the outfielders, it's fly balls, and I also rate them on ground ball hits. So even if there's, a say, a ground ball down the third base line, I'm going to give the third baseman just the average value of whether it's a single or double. Uh, but then at the for the left fielder, I'm going to credit him with whether it was a single or a double or a triple. It was the outfielder who's responsible for getting the ball in quickly and preventing the extra base. And so that's part of my uh, rating for the outfielder. For the infielder, I look at the range. Uh, what percentage of ground balls did the infielder keep in the infield? Whether he got an out on them or not, that prevented them from going to the outfield as a hit. Then, once the ball's in the infield, 
what percentage of them did they get an out on? And the runs reached on error and infield singles have slightly different linear weights on the value because a lot of times you might end up with a two-base error. But they're fairly equal in consideration in that you didn't make an out. And then also for the infielders, I looked at the double play starts and double plays pivoted. Now, is this something that uh, to which you need to apply quite a bit of regression just because of the number of chances, or the, I say the paucity of chances? It's, I don't think it's as much regression as expected, and I'm still tinkering around with that on the defense to, uh, you know, make sure you got the optimum amount, but uh, so far, at least I'll say preliminary results, that... Uh, for the range on defense, uh, it's, I'm not getting as much, uh, individual year to year variance, uh, and thus not requiring as much regression as, uh, what some other defensive systems have claimed. And that's still a little incomplete, but I'm, you know, I'm, I like the numbers I got now, but I'm still looking for, you know, ways to dig deeper and uh, make them a little better. Okay, cool. And then, well, you know, finally, I want to ask is, uh, uh, and then I'll let you go. But what are you sort of looking at for the for the future of Oliver? I mean, you mentioned just now uh, you're looking to, uh, you know, maybe do a little bit more work with the defense. Uh, there's some regression that needs to be added uh, to the site. I mean, what else can we expect uh, in the in the future coming up? Well, I'm uh, as far as batting and pitching projections, I want to do a little more analysis of the batted balls. So, say when I'm doing batting average on balls in play, instead of just looking at balls in play, I want to break it down into fly balls and ground balls, and there's going to be different park factors based on the type of ball. So, then a guy like Juan Pierre is going to be affected much less playing in Coors Field uh, than other players. Um, Outside of the projections, uh, we have some other data that I have collected that uh, we haven't published yet. And uh, I mean, I do the number crunching, but we also got a uh, Brian Donovan, a uh, the web programmer at, at uh, Hardball Times, and you had previously uh, complimented the the layout and uh, how to access the data. And I have to give the credit there to David Casco and Brian Donovan. They're the ones who have designed and coded the interface. Uh, but like I said, I still have more data. I w- would like to get an expanded uh, biographical section of the player. Um, if you look at other sites like Minor League Baseball or Baseball America or, or you know, uh, Baseball Reference, uh, they have a few more pieces of data, and I have them, and uh, we get up there. But we also have uh, transactions for the player, and uh, most thing I'm, I am excited about is from the transactions, I've extracted the injuries, and we're building an injury database, which uh, should be published soon, but where then, if you're looking at a particular player, you can see a list of uh, the injury, what the date of the injury, what kind of injury it was, and how many days and how many games the player missed for that injury. But then also, if you would click on the injury, we'll have a page for each injury type where you would have a list of every player who had that injury and get to see a histogram and some stats on what was the minimum amount of time missed, the maximum, the average amount of time. Uh, so uh, that's something I think that's really going to be neat. Well, that's cool stuff. Hey, uh, uh, Brian, I'm going to let you go now, but I want to thank you very much for 
joining us on Fangraphs Audio. And I thank you. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll let you get back to work. Hopefully, uh, we haven't kept you off on your lunch too long. Uh, but yes, once again, that has been uh, Brian Cartwright, the uh, the proprietor of the Oliver Projection System, which is available at the Hardball Times. Uh, and I have been Carson Testuli, and this has definitely been a White Out edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.